of you know that RUF offers a two-year-long internship where um, you would graduate, we have some RUF interns in the house, um, where you would graduate from UT and then um, would be placed on a different campus. And uh, for those two years, you get to do hands-on ministry, you get to work alongside of a campus minister, lead Bible studies, meet with students. You can basically get to test your gifts and to test your calling to, be, to, to figure out whether or not this is something that the Lord might be calling you to full-time. And so we really do have the privilege tonight of hearing from our intern. Um, Alex Gottfried has been our intern here. Um, this is his second year. He graduated from Appalachian State University and came over to Knoxville, I guess, a year and a half ago now and has gotten to know many of you and um, served alongside of me and basically leading you guys and pointing you to Jesus. And um, so what we basically, what we do every week in RUF is we open up the Bible and walk through it and see what it has to say. And um, tonight we get to have Alex kind of lead us in that exercise. So I'm going to hand um, the microphone over to Alex, our trusted second year faithful Harry intern. So give it up for Alex. Hear me? Hear me? Good? Yeah, I wore the Sockos because I'm a little nervous right now. The thing about the RUF internship is you get excited when you become an RUF intern and then you hear that you're going to have to preach once or twice and you never think about the day that you're actually going to have to preach. So I'm very nervous, so bear with me. Um, But if you guys came here to hear Matt... I'm sorry, um, you got me. Um, so, last couple of weeks we've been talking about relationships and how, you know, what does it look like to be in a dating relationship, a friendship relationship, um, a marriage, or just being sing- in a single relationship, just being friends. Um, and tonight I wanted to talk more about what our relationship looks like with, with God, with Jesus. And... Um, and so, let's, uh, let me pray for us real quick, if you don't mind, I need it. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this opportunity, thank you that you are good and holy, uh, please speak through me, please speak your words and not my own, uh, please penetrate the hearts of these guys and girls, um, using your words and not my own, um, in your name I pray, Amen. So, relationships. Um, you're going to see that Jesus has come. Well, let me, yeah, I'm going to start here. So, you're about to see Jesus enters into the world, and he displays a new way of thinking, a new thought process for, uh, for the religious leaders of the time. And he comes and basically says, I, um, I am uh, fulfilling this part of the law now. And to the religious leaders, it looks very different, and it's scary. Um, And so, this new way of relating to God, uh, I invite you to think about with me. Uh, Let's, if you have a smartphone or a handout, let's, uh, let's read the passage. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at 
at table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him, anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this and said to him, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, could not pay the, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, "The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt." And he said to him, "You have judged rightly." Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, "Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my for my feet." But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she, for she loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And she said to... And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, if you've heard that verse one time, or this is your tenth time, I invite you, I invite you all um, to go through it with me. I think this passage reveals how we see Jesus, how we live for Jesus, and our motivation for following Jesus. So I was watching the History Channel the other day, and, uh, and it's about who built America. Um, it had Vanderbilt in there, and it had Rockefeller in there, and it cut to a little clip of one of Rockefeller's distant, well, He's still alive today. His, it's Senator John D. Rockefeller. And he said, he says this, The Rockefeller family is still known today for being extremely hardworking in everything we do. It's a tradition in our family. I bring this up because for many of us, we are we're traditional people. We don't like very much, very many new things. It's hard for us to do something new, try something new. Um, and I think a lot of you are here today at UT because your parents have come here and their parents have come here. And it's a tradition um, for, some, for some of you. And um, so many of you are here, tradition. And so let me give you this example. So you have a, your calculus teacher. He gives you a take-home test. And he says, you know, go figure out this one problem. And you're, you're working hard, you're trying to figure it out, and then you bring it back to him, and you've figured it out another way. you figured out a diff, you know, your way. And you bring it back, you're like a, 
a giddy schoolgirl. You're going to show it to him. You're all excited. And he's like, no, this isn't how I taught you. This is not what I wanted you to do. You didn't show your work. Um, and so he's used to doing it his way. And my point of that is to kind of take you through what the Pharisees thought when Jesus came into their lives, that Jesus was presenting a new way of thinking about why they, why they do all the religious things that they do, why they kept to the law. It was new. Um, so I believe this to be evident in the Pharisees' lives. A Pharisee is a, relig- a religious leader of the day. They took the law of the Old Testament very seriously. They would look down on others if they thought they weren't following it or obeying it correctly. Their lives were governed by the law. As a result of holding to the law, they were adamant that doing everything right would save them. Their eyes seemed to be only fixed, fixed on their good works. They lived their lives as, as well put together, unapproachable, harsh, unforgiving, and self-righteous people. Their motivation was their doing. They are motivated by fear of, of doing something new, um, seeing something differently. So I bring this up to show you on one side you're going to have Simon the Pharisee that we just read about. And on the other side you're going to have the woman, the sinful woman. Um, and Jesus, he goes through this passage he, and he reveals three things I want to go through with you guys. A new sight, he gives us a new sight a new living, and a new motivation. So what do I mean by a new sight? How does he give us this new sight? He does this by making us aware of our blindness. Recall some characteristics of the Pharisee. They're self-righteous, self-absorbed, stuck in their ways, looked down on anyone that they saw that were lesser than them. Okay, so look at verse 39. Now then, the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, the woman. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, talking about Jesus, he would know, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. So, Simon thinks that he has it all together, right? Simon thinks he is, or she is very unclean, and he is very clean. Now try to relate to Simon. Think about a scenario when you thought you had it all together. Um, Many of you are here because, well, many of you are here, and I know you're here, and I know some of you guys have been brought up in a Christian school, um, brought up in a church family, Christian family, just like me. And what happens is I can, we can go, I can, speaking of my own accord, I can go through the motions, and this is high school, and I basically could tell people that I was Christian because I said I was a Christian. I didn't really understand what that meant. So, I bring this up. Fast forward, my freshman year of college. I'm sitting with the RUF campus, or, yeah, campus minister at the time, and uh, he looks at me and goes, Alex, what makes you a Christian? How do you know you are one? And I thought to myself, well, I know this one. So I responded with with saying, because Jesus died for my sins. He responded with, yeah, 
But why did he do that? Why was he the only one that could die for you? What's the point of him going to the cross? I still remember that day because for the first time in my Christian life, I didn't have it all together. I didn't have it figured out. I didn't know who I was. Um, I would say I was a Christian and I would do all these things, but I really didn't know what it was about. Um, and so I, I hope that I'm speaking, connecting somewhere with you guys. I think for so many of us, we have never really dealt with these questions because we have never seen the need to. We might just assume that everything is okay with ourselves. You might feel you have it all together. We may think that going on mission trips or doing camps, which are great opportunities, uh, being rock stars of your youth group, um, man, all of these things, because I was one of those. But you can do all that stuff and not really know why you're doing it. And so, just like Evan at Appalachian State asked me, what's the root of all of this? Jesus basically is asking the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, why, why are you doing this? There is a, there's a new way. I am the new way. And this is, this is what my relationship to you looks like. And obviously they freaked out because they didn't have the answer. So, I ask you guys, what is underneath your works, your actions, your prayers, your desires? Real, I really do think that in most cases, we are Simon in this passage. Blind of our doing and traditions. You see, just like the Pharisees, we think we know how Christianity works. But do we? Do we really understand who Jesus is? I make this point because it's evident in both your lives and mine that we don't actually know Jesus fully. Let me ask you guys some questions. What is so vital for us in church with music? I know we could, we, I did this when I was in college. I'd pick a church because the music sounded good to me. Um, and song and praise are really good things. But if you don't know the reasons and the purpose for them, you'll get lost and you'll just go to church for that reason. Why is it so hard for us to get plugged into a church community? If we are built for community, and the Bible says we're built for a community, a Christian community, then why is it so hard for us to step outside of ourselves and go seek that community at a church or um, not really know what to do when new people are around us? Why do, you, why do we worry so much about finding a job or internship right after our first year of college? Guys, I, after my first year of college, I wanted to just veg out on the couch and go home and have cooked meals by my mom. I'm just like, it just baffles me that everybody that I know nowadays is just so eager to get in the job world. You're going to be working your whole life. What is that pressure? Why are we doing this? Okay. What's another question? This is, a, this is more personal. Why is looking at porn more exciting than the scripture that is said to, said to sustain us and give us true joy? Why is it easier to gossip about that girl down the hall and not proclaim Jesus to a stranger? Why is that hard for us? Our worth is in Jesus and not in anything else. So as I wrote this sermon, I wanted it 
to be good. I mean, who wouldn't want it to be good? Um, and I, I poured probably two weeks of just rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it. And in all that doing, I lost track of why I'm here. Why am I doing this? All my efforts blinded me from seeing the reason I was doing this in the first place. If we did see Jesus as we ought, then we wouldn't worry so much about everything else. I would argue that we we see Jesus as the Pharisees expected the Messiah to be. They expected a dictator. They expected some guy that would be high and mighty and tap his foot at you or, or, or hold his hands like this saying, you're not doing a good enough job. And he's not that. He came to liberate us from that, that, free, that, that pressure of pleasing ourselves and others. As Jesus continues to make us see that we do not see, he turns to Simon and begins telling Simon that he does not live as he ought. If Simon truly saw Jesus as his Savior, then Simon would have to choose, have no choice but to live differently. And that goes for you and me. That brings me to my second point. How do we live differently? So look at verse 37 through 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, At his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This woman, a sinner, a woman of the city, in those days um, that refers to a prostitute. She's interrupted this this meeting, this, uh, this meeting of, you know, Religious leaders, Pharisees, and there's Jesus. So what's the, what are some descriptions about her? She's weeping. That's one. She washes Jesus' feet with her hair. She kisses Jesus' feet. She uses her ointment. And she uses her ointment. Okay, so a little backstory, well, back history, that there were no paved roads back then that your feet were really dirty. There were no systematic trash guys that came and picked up your trash. It was very dirty on the streets. And so you'd walk in that. And I don't know what kind of shoes they wore. They probably wore Chacos or something. Um, But the point is, their feet were very, very dirty. And what does she do? She goes right for the feet. Um, And so think for yourselves right now. I'm going to give you a little example. What if a woman off Cumberland came to RUF tonight, um, some of the homeless people that are on Cumberland Avenue, and came to RUF and started hugging everyone right now, just came in those doors, started hugging everybody? That would be strange, right? That would be very, very strange. What if you were eating with your friends and in walks some homeless person or someone that was visually different than the rest? They, they smelt bad. Um, they weren't wearing flannel and chacos. 
Um, you know. Okay, so I have a story for you guys. So at RUF, at my old school, in my undergraduate, um, we had a spaghetti dinner before every large group. And a nice family would offer their assistance in helping out. And we would eat there every Wednesday night. And in comes this guy that would help out. He didn't look the part. He didn't smell the part sometimes. And he didn't, um, he, he, he talked funny. But he showed that you, he cared about everyone by his, I mean, he would strike up conversation and never, ever stop talking to you. He would take out the trash. He would do all these very nice things. And here we are just like looking at him saying, who the heck is this? Why is he here? Okay, go back to the woman that walks in the large group tonight. And let's add that, okay, so she's weeping. That'd be a little weird too. Why is she weeping? She's weeping because she knows she's a misfit, that she doesn't belong here, that she's embarrassed. But she knows she, she's coming here to be fed. She's here to hear Jesus. Or maybe this is a church. I don't know. Um, and she knows she's different and not put together, and she doesn't fit in. Meanwhile, we're judging her, weirded out, and probably thinking it's somehow rude to interrupt. She came because there is something here that she knows that without, she has no hope. That's, that Jesus isn't here, the physical Jesus, but we're talking about him. She can see she's a mess, and yet comes bearing our laughter and judgment, and starts hugging us and giving giving away her most valuable possession. Now, what's her most valuable possession? Well, if you look back in the verse, it talks about ointment. So she is a prostitute. That is her... That's the way she makes money. She has to smell good in order to attract customers. Um, And so that is her most valuable thing that she has. And she emptied it onto Jesus' feet, of all places, feet. For the sake of Jesus, this woman gives up her most valuable possession. She bears the shame of everyone laughing and judging her just so she can serve him. And that's how we're supposed to live differently. So her living looks drastically different from Simon's. If we were to compare side by side both attitudes and characteristics of both Simon and the woman, they would look polar opposite. On Simon's side, we'd have well-put-together, judgmental, narcissistic, self-righteous, and blind to his own sin. On the woman's side, she would be more lovable, messy, courageous, broken, giving, but more self-aware of her sin. Well, you'd think that the one that knew the law, knew Scripture, would be the one to be approachable to be more loving, to know who they are in Christ, or to know who they are. Um, So Simon knows the scriptures and claims he knows everything. Jesus making us see that we are to live like the woman. Jesus pretty much illustrates that Simon's heart is hardened and cannot see him. Yet this sinful woman's heart is more pure and giving. How is this? Why does her heart see more clearly and wants to give everything she has to Jesus. This brings us to our last point, 
and final point. What's our motivation? How do we start, stop living like Simon and start living like the sinful woman? First, let's see what is motivating Simon. Simon is motivated by his own greed of obtaining knowledge, pitying those who aren't him. He's motivated by the fact that he thinks he's closer to perfection. But Jesus knows this and responds with an illustration. Look at verses 39 through 43. Then when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say he answered, say it, teacher. Don't pause right there. Say you're thinking something right now, and Jesus just answers you. you know, in your thought, you're saying something. We're all judging that person that comes down and starts hugging us, and Jesus is like, why are you doing that? I think it's pretty funny. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, to whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, said to him, You have judged rightly. And what's going on here? Well, Jesus is making Simon aware that he may think he has it all together. And he may think that he doesn't need a savior. But he does. Here's this woman that has nothing um, but she is but Jesus compares her to the one that has the larger debt so how do I say this um, so if you had if, if, if there was two people that owed money one owed a hundred grand one owed ten dollars and some guy came up and said You're, I'm going to wipe away both your debts I'm going I'm to wipe them away so you don't have to pay anything. Well, which, who would be more thankful? I would say the one that owes 100000 right? He would be more thankful. So here's this woman that knows her sin, how much and how much it is. And that's how much her sin is. And he doesn't think he sinned very much. The woman knows her sin... She knows she cannot save herself because her sin is massive. She, she is aware of her need of Jesus because it is so massive. She has no control over it. Okay, look at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from... The time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Um, and this is where I'm going to start closing this out. That for me, and I think for some, some of you guys here, we think we have it all together. That's my point, is we may think we're better off than we actually are. And Jesus comes and flips it on our head and says, no, you're actually more sinful than you ever imagined. 
but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to wipe out your debt. I'm going to wipe it out clean. And he, so he comes 2,000 years ago, and he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to take on what you can't take on. And all of your imperfections that we, that we try to live up to, this perfect, this perfect standard, and Jesus comes to say, I've got you. This is, I've got this. You cannot amount to what I want you to do. And so he comes and he wipes out our debt that we are more. And I want to leave you guys with this thought. I think we need, so we have to see and realize that we're more sinful than we ever dared imagine, but we're more forgiven than we ever dared dream. Um, I think I'm going to close this there. Um, But I'm going to leave you with this question. What is your need of Jesus? What is it today? What is it tomorrow? What is your need of him? Because only with your need, you'll figure out how much Jesus will provide for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this opportunity again. Thank you that you are a a God that can speak your truth through inadequate and messy vessels like me. Um, thank you for your scripture and thank you for this for these these guys in these seats. In your name I pray. Amen.